Matthew 15, verse 21. So this is page 982 of the Pew Bibles. And as we read, we remember this is God's Word. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Women, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mutes, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground, then he took the seven loaves and the fish. And when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The numbers of those who ate were, were 4,000 besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the, the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. For you know how to, in, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times." A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, is it, it is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, you have little faith. Why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Amen. We trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Word. 
We're going to look at those verses that we read earlier, Matthew 15, from verse 21 into chapter 16, verse 12. Um, we, we, we've sort of called this this morning, what's really going on? I wonder if you, you ever asked that question, what's really going on in our world? And maybe as we went through that period where there was such a climate uncertainty just about a month or two ago. You remember there was hurricane after hurricane forming up in the Mid-Atlantic and going across the Caribbean and up into Florida. We got the tail end of that, got a couple of days off school, you remember. And, and you might sort of ask the question, what on earth's going on in our world? Everything seems, seems different, doesn't it? Or maybe you ask that question at times of great geopolitical uncertainty. If you you remember back to the ascent of Donald Trump into the presidency. Lots of people were asking that question, what's going on in our world? You remember that that, that particular storyline had been predicted some years earlier in the Simpsons cartoon. How does it feel to be living in a comedy writer's dream? And, and, and there we are, we're asking the question, what's going on in the world? Maybe it's North Korea. We, we see the activities of of what's happening in North Korea, and we say, what's going on in our world? And for many of our secular friends, they really don't have an answer to that. There is no ultimate control in our world. It is up to us to make the best of it. Clearly, we're not doing a very good job, but there's no guiding principle or guiding hand behind world events working anything out. We're on our own, and that's pretty bleak. For us, however, that answer is very different. The world is not out of control. It is not even ultimately in our control. It is in God's control. Peter prayed in that light very clearly, didn't he, a moment ago. God is working out His plans of salvation and judgment. And, and in His work of salvation, He is gathering a people for Himself through the work of His Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is gathering a people who would be His very own, a people whom He saves, whom He leads, a people that He will keep, and ultimately a people that He will bring to be with Him, gathered around Him in glory. Now, now that great picture of how things are going to end, as it were, or begin for eternity, if you like. That, that great picture is described in the Bible all sorts of different ways, but one of, the, one of the pictures that's often used is that of a great banquet. We sometimes talk about the messianic banquet because it's the, the great heavenly banquet that, that the Messiah brings in. And it's predicted long before the Messiah, long before Jesus. If you want to, to flick back into Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 25, it's page 708 of the Pew Bibles. Listen to these words from Isaiah. This is 700 years, but more, before Jesus. Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty… Sorry, some folk are still turning that. That's page 708 uh, Isaiah 25, verse 6, on this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet 
of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers the nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, Surely this is our God. We trusted him, and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? God himself, you think of it, God himself preparing a great banquet, selecting the best of produce. And along with this, there's a marvelous gift. You know, you know how it is if you go to a, a great Christmas dinner that a friend puts on and they invite you along, you will probably take a gift with you. But at this banquet, God prepares the banquet and He gives us a gift, death is swallowed up. How fantastic is that? So, so in our, our passage this morning, we, we've sort of got three questions to guide us through what Matthew's saying. And the first is this question, what's going on in the world? And this is the answer. God is gathering a people for Himself, a people with whom He will feast, a people who will be delivered from death, a people whose disgrace will be removed, a people who will rejoice with Him forever. Now, because that is promised, we know that God always keeps His promises. And therefore, whenever we look forward into Revelation, that book that gives us those hints and pictures of how things are eventually going to be, it tells us that it will happen. So, Revelation 19 says, a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, small and great. I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like peals of loud thunder, shouting hallelujah for the Lord Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So you see, Isaiah predicts that it's going to happen. Revelation looks forward, describing the end and says, it's happening at the end. This great now banquet described as the wedding supper of the Lamb. And you remember those predictions of death? Well, over a couple of pages in Revelation, death being swallowed up. Revelation 21, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So you see, it's predicted. It's seen in Revelation. And this is what is going on in our world. This is what is happening. Behind the headlines in the news, behind the events in your life and mine, this is what is going on. History is working towards that day. Now, Jesus, of course, is the Messiah. He's the one who's going to bring all of this about. He's the groom at the great wedding banquet. And so it's not surprising that while he was on earth, 
there were many hints that he was the one who would eventually sit down with his people. He would feed his people. He would sit down in glory and feast with his bride. And Matthew especially emphasizes this. So, for example, in the first part of our reading today with the Canaanite woman who has this discussion about with Jesus, maybe even this argument with Jesus, it's really an argument about who's going to be fed by him. Jesus said, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs, you see. Jesus is saying, I'm in the business of spiritually feeding people, and you are not invited because you're not a Jew. And she takes this low position. Remember, we were looking at this last Sunday morning. She takes this low position as if to say, I know I'm not invited. I don't deserve, but is there room for me? And so she says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table, and Jesus rewards her faith, as it were. So you see, Jesus there is taking the role as the one who would provide food for his people. And then, of course, later in our reading, he does that even more clearly whenever he feeds the 4,000. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you remember that Jesus fed 5,000 people back in Matthew chapter 14. That's a different incident. We'll say a little bit more in a moment about why there are those two accounts. Uh, But many of the details are similar. The particular crowd uh, that Jesus has been with in this occasion in Matthew uh, 15 at the end of uh, 15 chapter chapter 15, verse 29 and following. Uh, Many of the details are similar. The particular crowd had been with Jesus for three days, nothing to eat, and Jesus raises the problem with the disciples, waiting for them, as it were, to come up with a solution, presumably waiting for them to say, well, come on, Jesus, just a few weeks ago, you fed 5,000 people. This crowd doesn't look so big. Won't you do that again? But they don't say that. You see what they say? where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? Now, don't you feel really superior to those disciples? Don't you look at them and say, remember what he did? You're so dull. You you gathered up the leftovers, for goodness sake. Don't you know who you're with? Why do you doubt his power? And then as you feel superior, don't you hear yourself saying, hang on, don't I doubt his power too? Don't I find that, that, that God helps me through some really difficult situation, and I know that he has done it, he's answered my prayers and my cry, and then not long after, a few weeks later, I come to a similar situation, and what do I do? I, I doubt him. It hardly even enters my head, perhaps, to look for his help. I think I'm on my own, and I rely on my own resources. Don't you find yourself doing that? So whenever we see the disciples at their worst, we find ourselves most like them. And so Jesus asks the question, how many loaves do you have? Seven, they say, and a few small fish. Do you think then that the bells started to ring? Hang on, haven't we done this before? And sure enough, Jesus has the crowd sit down as if they're at a banquet, about to be served. And he is the host. He he breaks the bread. He gives it to the disciples. They serve the people table service. 
And verse 37, they all ate and were satisfied. Well, do you see, you see, as well as Jesus having compassion on these people, as well as him looking after their physical needs, he is the one by this action who is saying, I am also looking after their spiritual needs. He is the one who is saying, I am the one who is bringing about the great messianic banquet, and all who trust in me will sit in glory with me, and there I will abolish death and tears forever. As Revelation 3.20 says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he with me. You see, I can feed you, he says. I can feed you here and now on a hillside in Galilee, but trust me and open your life to me, and I will feed you forever. You see, that's who Jesus is. That's what he is doing. God is gathering a people for himself, whom he will provide for marvelously, and he's doing it through his Son. And through trust in him, we may feast with him forever. We may be fully satisfied forever. So whenever you flick on the news tonight, and you see some stuff that makes you wonder what's going on in the world, remember this. This is the headline that will not appear on the news. It's always been here until this passing world is done. Jesus is the one through whom God is gathering his people. That's what's going on. Second question we have this morning is, is who may be included in this great banquet? Who's it for? And this is where we understand why Jesus does this second feeding of a crowd so close after the first one. Some of you have been around this area of the Middle East, around the Sea of Galilee. It's about half the size of Loch Ness in terms of area. Most of the areas that surround it were, were Jewish areas. But some of the areas around Galilee were Gentile areas. You remember this great division that ran through uh, the whole of the human population at that time was between the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and everybody else. And the everybody else were the Gentiles. And we, we know what it's like to live in a land where people gather together with the people that they're most like. We talk about our two communities, for example. And, and, and this is exactly how it was in Jesus' day. There were Jewish communities and there were Gentile communities. And in this chapter, you see, Jesus is crossing back and forward across the lake, and sometimes he finds himself in Jewish communities most of the time, and then sometimes he finds himself in Gentile communities. In Matthew 14, where he fed the crowd of 5,000, 5,000 men, he was in a Jewish area dealing with Jewish people. But now he's in a Gentile area, and the crowds that are flocking to him are Gentiles. And you see a particular instance of that in chapter 15, verse 31, where it says, they glorified the God of Israel. Why the God of Israel? Because they were Gentiles. He wasn't, in a sense, their God, but now they're praising Him because of Jesus. And, and the woman at the beginning of our reading, the Canaanite, she was sort of the beginning of this. Jesus said to her, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Of course, He was. He was to start 
with the Jews being called to recognize the one whom, whom they had been waiting for for generations. But it was never to stop there. It was to flow out to the nations, and so it does. Remember, all of this was actually predicted in Isaiah. We read that earlier. How did it start? On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a rich food for all peoples. Not just for the Jews, but for all peoples. It tells us that, that the peoples of the world are going to be represented at that heavenly banquet. That's, of course, what Revelation tells us will happen after this, Revelation 7, verse 9, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one can count from every nation and tribe and people and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. So the question is, who may come to this banquet? Who, for whom is this work being done? What sort of people are going to be there? And the answer is all sorts of people. There will be people from every nation and tribe and people on earth, and that's great news because it means that there'll be people there from our people. We are not excluded because we're not Jews. We are, we are Gentiles, vast majority of us, I'm sure, and we are included. Now, the question is, of course, are we going to be there personally? There will be people like us there, but are we going to be there personally? Because not every person on earth will be there. The Bible is very, very clear about that. Will you be there? God is gathering His people. Will you be there? Jesus fed those 4,000 Gentiles to indicate that people like you and me can be included, but will we be there? And this is not a time to say, well, I hope so, or, or I... I think so. This is really a time to say, I know that I will be there because I'm trusting in the Jesus who has done all this for me. Now, if we will be there, this is our third question, there's something we've got to avoid. There's something we've got to avoid. What must we avoid? Well, you see what happens with the story. In the midst of these verses that we read, Jesus has an encounter with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were Jewish religious leaders. Jesus had crossed at this point into a Jewish area again, it seems, and He has this encounter with them, and then He travels off again with His disciples. And He says to them in chapter 16, verse 6, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. You know, sometimes we've seen the picture of yeast in the Bible is used in a positive way to, to uh, talk about something that is very small but has a very powerful influence. Kingdom of God is like that, can start off very small but can have an incredible influence. But most of the time in the Bible, the, the picture of yeast is used negatively for that same reason. Something very small can have a very powerful influence. You know, if you have a, a little bit of just a, maybe a tablespoonful or a, a teaspoonful of salt into a cup of coffee or something rather than sugar, you'll know all about it. Very small, but has a massive influence. Well, you see, the disciples don't understand what Jesus is talking about. They hadn't brought the leftovers with them, it seems, and they can't get their minds past that. You sort of imagine Peter going, see, I told you we should have brought that bread. But, but there they are. They're just thinking about 
what's been happening, the bread that, that they, they've left behind. And Jesus is warning them about something much more serious, about the spiritually poisonous, we might use that way, the spiritually poisonous influence of the Pharisees. What's he particularly getting at? Well, you notice that in their encounter, they come to him in chapter 16, verse 1, and they came to test him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, you think about it. What has Jesus been doing? He's been performing the most amazing miracles on both sides of the lake. He's been healing all who come to him. He's been feeding vast crowds of people in anticipation of this messianic banquet. There is no lack of evidence for his power or his person or his compassion or his goodness. God is written all over him. And they say, eh, Jesus, give us a sign. Show us who you are. And Jesus says, no sign will be given you except the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah is buried in the whale, as it were, for buried in the great fish for, for three days, so Jesus will be buried, death, and will come forth again, resurrection. That's what they're going to have to reckon with. So what is the poison of the Pharisees? It is their determination not to see who Jesus is. Their basic skepticism that just grows and grows so that they will not see that Jesus is who he claims to be and that they really need him. And along with that was their basic sense that they did not need a Savior, that they could do it by themselves, that they were okay, that God was pleased with them because of their ethnic identity or because they were better than the rest of the people that they read about in the Daily Mail. You remember some of the Pharisees' statements? God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. Or whenever they were reminded about the commandments, all these I've been keeping since I was a boy. I don't really need a Savior. God helps those who help themselves, and I've been helping myself very, very well. And Jesus says, beware of that. Beware of thinking that it depends upon you. You will never be at the Messianic banquet if you don't think that you need a Savior. And you will never be at the Messianic banquet if you don't see that Jesus is the one through whom God is at work. Do you see it? Do you say things like this? Oh, the, the man upstairs, the big man, he's looking after me. I'm doing as well as the next person. Oh, of course I'm a Christian. I'm just not one of those saved Christians. Friend, we need to bow before this Lord Jesus, for he is our one and only hope. We cannot do it on our own. We must see who He is and how much we need Him. Otherwise, we are full of the very attitudes that Jesus warned us about that would keep us out of that great heavenly banquet. You want to be there, don't you? Of course you do. Well, we bow before the one through whom it comes, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.
Lord, we confess that so often all that we see is all that we think about. The, the, the things that are happening today and tomorrow in our lives, we maybe plan ahead for a week, but we forget that this is the great story, that You are the God that is gathering a people for Yourself for all of eternity, and by Your mercy and grace, we have heard of this story, and we have been invited to trust in this Jesus and be part of it. Lord, give us grace that we might trust You. We, we know by ourselves we will ignore You. We will trust in ourselves. Lord, do not let that happen. Help us to trust fully and wholly on the one You have given, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray. Amen.